You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I want to look today with you at the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 is where we'll be. If you have your bulletin, you can certainly turn there. If your Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 6, which was our first reading for this morning. Uh, at the end of Galatians 5, something very familiar is, uh, is given to us. Paul gives what is often known as the fruits of the Spirit. That's what, uh, what we know from Paul's words. Uh, you know them, right? You've heard them. You've probably read them. Some of you have them memorized. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul goes on to say that of which there is no law. These are things that we live by. These are things that Christians should look like, right? We should have joy and patience and peace. We're not perfect at any of these, but these are the things that show that we indeed are followers of Jesus. And then at the end of chapter five, Paul gives us a window into chapter six, which is where we're going today. That ending there in chapter five says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Interesting that he says, the fruits of the Spirit are the following, and directly following that, but don't be conceited, provoking and envying each other. The word conceited is not particularly helpful here, but what Paul is trying to say is, don't, let us not be desperate for recognition or vain glory. You sense an emptiness, and you seek to fill it with other people's affirmation or recognition. Tim Keller speaks of the subject when he says, every human being longs for the approval of God. We long to hear in everything, well done, good and faithful servant. While some will deny they desire this, there's a God-shaped hole created in us that screams for God's approval. We want to know that we're good enough, that we have done enough. Because many have turned away from God, we're desperately trying to fill the hole with anything else that we think would satisfy us. Now, I want to come back to this in just a moment of well done, good and faithful servant, and also this, this thing of are we good enough? Have we done enough? But Paul begins here, chapter 6, by speaking to those who are spiritual. In, in the Spirit, he says, seeking to live out these fruits of the Spirit that he's just mentioned. He's talking to Christians, those who are in Christ, coming alongside those who have fallen to restore them. The passage shouts, caution, yellow blinking lights, beware. The caution is directed to those who are restoring the fallen and not the fallen themselves. The warning is against pride and self-exaltation. It is this. This is the one virus, the one thing that causes all moral diseases of the world, this pride. This has been the case since Adam and Eve chose to try to be God instead of to trust God. John Piper, a great theologian and pastor, says of this, there's only one basic moral issue, how to overcome the relentless urge of the human heart to assert itself against the authority and grace of God. Why else would Paul write to spiritual people to bear the burdens of others and then spend most of the paragraph warning the spiritual people against the danger of their own pride? 
The battle of pride and self-exaltation in our hearts is a battle of joy. What keeps the breeze of joy and peace blowing in the hearts of the people is rejecting and denying pride. Pride does not and cannot produce joy. It's a battle that has gotten our country to the point that it is today. One that for many will look at the church and say that it's gone off the deep end at times. It's fitting that we celebrate Independence Day tomorrow and we read this passage today. Maybe you didn't make the connection right away, so let me help a little bit if I can. When this nation was founded on the principles that were from the Bible, the forefathers were not anticipating the direction in which we're going today. Independence was the source of pride at the time, and I would imagine if you or I lived at that time, we would probably be full of joy that we were getting our independence and even rejoicing that God would be with us. Today, we've taken the things that have set us free and we've enslaved ourselves to them. The government that was established to give us freedom to live within, yet that freedom has now taken us captive to the point that we want the government to be our savior in times of desperation. And then for the church, you don't have to look too far to see pride that wells up in the church leadership on the national level. Leadership in many cases that have abused power and even taught a false gospel that others are following. Herein lies the caution that Paul gives, his intent to warn us when someone stumbles, you be there to help them, but don't think too highly of yourself in the process. He'll go on to say that because you're not the one giving the grace, God is. I think verse 3 is the most abrupt at knocking down pride than any other verse in the section. If you read verse 3 again, it says here, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If you think you're something, when you're really nothing, you've deceived yourself. Rich Mullins was quoted. Rich Mullins was a, a great artist and uh, musician back several years ago. He's since passed. But he was quoted as saying this, God chose to use a donkey in the Old Testament. You remember the donkey, right? Balaam and his donkey. The donkey speaks and tells Balaam which way to go, what, what, what to do. God chose to use a donkey in the Old Testament. So if he chooses to use you, don't think too highly of yourself. That'll knock us off our pedestal right away. When God is merciful and Christ enters our life and enables us to love we ought not to start talking about self-esteem, but about Christ's esteem. I'm crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What we need to break out of the shackles of our pride is not the bolstering of self-esteem, but a radical confidence in the incomparable Christ who came into the world to save utterly unworthy sinners. When you're looking holy to Christ in your forgiveness, your guidance, your love, your joy, the sinner you admonish and restore will know that you do not come in the spirit of pride. We bear each other's burdens because we were given the greatest example of all in Jesus himself who bore all sin upon himself. And then Paul goes on in verses 6 through 10 here and he gives us a very challenging word. He's giving it to the church then and now. It's to finish well. 
to finish well in Christ. Don't grow tired of doing what is right. The worst enemy for enthusiasm is time. We as human beings have the remarkable yet sad capacity for forgetting and forgetting about wonderful things. Think about it. You haven't been to the beach in a while. You go down to the beach. You get there. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to go out to the beach. You want to see the sunset. You want to hear the waves crashing. You want to experience the sand in your toes. That's the first day. The second day, it's kind of like, well, the beach is still there. Third, fourth day, maybe you're there for a week. By day seven, oh, we're at the beach. Forgot about that. See, the luster wears off. The beauty that is, that, that, that captivates us at one point, wears off. The same is often true of our Christian life. We felt the power of the Holy Spirit the day we met the living God, and yet it begins to fade. You told people about Jesus. You led small groups. You went on prayer walks. You read your Bible all the time. But somewhere along the line, we grew weary. And our weariness... We lose our urgency for the lost. And then we get to verse 9. We're reminded of why we do all those things. And let us not grow weary of doing good, Paul says, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This concept that is, is something theologians call the perseverance of the saints it's one of the, the, the ways that we persevere to the end. We live out the fruits of the Holy Spirit all the way to the end. We don't grow weary. We don't grow tired. So that when we stand before God, we indeed receive those words that Tim Keller said, well done, good and faithful servant, that we all desire of the Lord. We want the well done, but the influence of the world and our unacknowledged pride often distracts us and even derails us from the pursuit of holiness. Now, there's much difficulty in these verses, and I'll be the first to tell you it's not a feel-good concept. This is not the concept of let's say a magic prayer, let's go to church on Sunday, let's pray before a meal. All those things are good. But I want to read verses 8 through 10 and let them sink in for you just a minute. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Jesus speaks in the Gospels. And he sends these 72 out into the harvest where the harvest is plentiful and they're commanded to go and not take anything with them, but to listen to the Spirit and obey and to heal others and to pray with others and to go into these towns where the proclamation of Jesus has not been taken yet. And they go. And when they come back, what happens? You heard it, right? They come back and say, wow, even the demons listen to us, Jesus. Even they obey us. And what is Jesus' words to them? Yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why would Jesus say something like that? Because he knows that the work of the Father being done is a defeat to Satan. And they don't go in with prideful thoughts of, look what I've done. 
Jesus reminds them quickly that this is me doing the work in you, that I'm sending you out. This is not merely, what Paul's speaking of here is not merely an issue of sanctification, but it's the issue of salvation. Now, let me be clear. Paul's not teaching that salvation comes by the amount of work that you do in life. But what he is teaching is that the evidence of your faith comes by your work. Paul had heard the parable that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats. And he was doing his best to point the church to not end up like the goats that God doesn't know. I think if he were to give them practical suggestions, it would come in the form of things like this. Focus on reaching the lost with urgency. Spend time investing in challenging the faithful to be producers and not consumers of God's word. Not just consumers, I should say. Surround yourself with people who will encourage you in the faith and accompany you in the Great Commission. Be accountable. Seek counsel when you fall. Don't fill yourself with pride, but give glory to God for all that he is doing. I think Paul would probably tell the church that then. He would probably tell the church that today. Focus on the things that Jesus has called us to and not grow weary of those things. In other words, do whatever it takes to finish strong. Paul is clear in saying that even though salvation is by grace through faith, there are attitudes and actions which can destroy us. Do we wake in the morning with a prayer trusting in the Spirit of God to guide us? Or do we often think, well, this is a pretty normal day. A quick prayer on the stairs will do the trick. Paul wants us to rely on the power of Christ to sustain us in all things, to sustain us and not our good investments. This leads to the last section of the passage this morning, where it all culminates right here in verses 11 through 16. Boast only in the cross of Christ. Those are Paul's words. Boast only in the cross of Christ. The ultimate putting to death of pride is boasting in Jesus as the only one worthy. Paul's final point in his writing to the church in Galatia is the point that he's been trying to get through to the church from the onset of the letter. Boast only in Christ Jesus, in the cross of, the Christ, of Christ. It's an odd thing that Paul's drawing us to here. He's telling us to boast in an instrument of death that was used by the Romans to execute prisoners of that day. He would not have stated it this way if it were not the power of the cross of Jesus being more powerful than anything that we might rely on. He's not encouraging us to boast alongside the cross or with the cross, but in the cross. Read it in verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? There's the end of the verse here. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Why is boasting in the cross, only in the cross, so important? It's a matter of the heart. For indeed, every bit of good and in fact, every evil that God works to the good of those who love him was in fact obtained for us through the cross in which Jesus bore. Every blessing in life, every bad that God turns to good is meant to magnify the cross of Christ. And if we get nothing else this morning 
from this passage, it is that we exalt in the cross. We celebrate the independence of our nation tomorrow, and for that we exalt in the cross. This requires a change that God gets all the glory and none for ourselves. That question that I ask at the beginning, are we good enough? Did we do enough? No, we can't. But the cross did. What Jesus did was good enough. It was more than we needed. And he accomplished everything through the cross. May we leave this place this morning with our minds and our hearts attuned to the fact that God gets the glory and I can boast in the cross this morning. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at Advent Birmingham.